0: Every time you set and hold a boundary, you remind yourself having needs is not selfish. Advocating for myself is not selfish. It is not personal. I am doing this because I love this person. I care about them and I want to show up in this relationship in a way that works for both of us.
1: Hi friends, we are so excited about today's episode because we are tackling a topic that both of us are pretty passionate about, setting boundaries.
2: Yeah, boundaries have been so busy in the wellness space these days, but the truth about how to actually properly set them and hold them may pleasantly surprise you. We learned a lot of unexpected things. Yeah, we definitely did. They are a game changer. And we got an insanely inspiring rundown on how boundaries will change your life with the most epic of guests who literally wrote the book on boundaries, aptly called
1: The Book of Boundaries, Melissa Urban. She is amazing, you guys. And this is the Boundaries 101 Crash Course for anyone looking to overcome people pleasing tendencies. AKA us. (laughs) Like literally us all the time, but not anymore. And for anyone who's looking to improve their relationship with themselves, their family, their friends, and in the workplace. It's also really timely right now heading into the holidays because we're chatting about
2: ways that we can all avoid any unnecessary stress this season. So we can just enjoy a
1: relaxing, resentment-free, bullshit-free holiday break. So if you're new to boundaries, you've probably seen the TikTok and Instagram trend of people entering their villain era because they've finally decided to prioritize themselves and set boundaries in their lives. We even did a video on this, so it's a thing. We're It's guilty. definitely a thing. But <laughs> our biggest takeaway from Melissa is that
2: boundaries actually aren't selfish and they shouldn't limit mm-hmm. or control your relationships. That is not the goal of them. They're really one of the kindest and healthiest ways to strengthen your relationships and to show up for each other without all of the guessing games, the mind reading, all that bullshit and, and resentment that builds when you just don't know what people want from you or how you can be
1: closer to them. Totally. We've both definitely experienced that in some of our relationships and friendships. It's It's been a ride.
2: Yeah, this episode gave me a hard look at the way I wish some relationships in my life had gone down and how setting boundaries on both sides would have really, really benefited us and really maybe salvaged like some years of, of heartache and heartbreak and lost relationships that just a simple clear boundary could have helped.
1: I think that's the thing. It doesn't mean it's restricting your friendships or or relationships. It's actually making them better. Like I know I don't really drink that much anymore after having Mia and having to have been sober for nine months while pregnant. So whenever I have friends come visit me in Vancouver, I just let them know in advance like, hey, I'm not really into drinking right now so can we do some of these other activities that I would love to do with you and on all of them at first I was like oh they're gonna think this trip is lame they're gonna not want to come anymore but we just spent the time like eating good food and hiking and like doing other things so setting these boundaries might feel really scary but I've found they've allowed me to just be able to show up how I want to show up with my friendships
2: A hundred percent. And it also helps you avoid like misleading them. Like it's good that they know what kind of a trip they're coming into. Like everybody just wants to be clear about what the fuck
1: is going on. And that is what a boundary allows for. But we are not the experts. So we called in Melissa Urban. Melissa is a six time New York Times bestselling author and the co-founder and CEO of the wildly popular Whole30 nutritional program. No big freaking deal. We are huge (laughs) fans of her latest book, The Book of Boundaries, a guide to setting boundaries to revolutionize your relationships and end resentment, burnout, and anxiety. And it delivers on all those promises. Oh, hell yeah, it does. And she's the host
2: of the Do The Thing podcast. And she's been a guest on many of our favorite podcasts, from Glennon Doyle's to The Skinny Confidential. We're obsessed. We're obsessed. obsessed. She is such an incredibly inspiring person who has overcome serious adversity and is now helping millions of other people live their best lives. Teach us how to set boundaries, Melissa. Thank you so much for being here with us today, Melissa. We are so excited to talk to you. We are such big fans of you. And you have such an incredible story from overcoming addiction to founding Whole30 to your latest book and your mission to help people establish healthy boundaries. So for anyone who hasn't heard your story, could you walk us through in a much more eloquent way than I just did how your journey led you to your new focus on boundaries?
0: Yeah. I mean, we're going to condense 25 years into just a (laughs) 30-second clip. People ask me when they look at me now, they're like, oh, have you always been so healthy? No, no, I have not. Um, I spent about five years in active drug addiction after experiencing some trauma when I was 16 and spent you know, a really long time running from that trauma, trying to numb and escape. And when I found drugs, it was like the answers I had been looking for to try to of run away from that experience, and so that took me into my early twenties. And I went to rehab once, and I had a year in recovery, and then I relapsed. And I know now that that's a relatively common experience for those who struggle with addiction, but at the time it felt like it, it went off the rails, and I didn't know why. I had no idea, and I knew things had to be different, and I didn't know how. When I went into into rehab for the second time, the time that actually stuck, I realized in the moment that. It was boundaries that I had been missing, boundaries with other people around not to use in front of me or not to offer me drugs or, you know, boundaries with myself around the fact that I wouldn't go to a party unless I had my own ride and I knew who would be there. Once I discovered that really by accident, out of like an act of desperation, I felt like everything in my life began to change and I really developed this idea that I was now a healthy person with healthy habits and I started looking for other ways to support that it led me to co-create the whole 30 in 2009 this you know 30 day dietary experiment that i took on to see if it would help me improve my performance in the gym and maybe improve my energy and it turned out to be this dramatically life changing 30 day experiment that completely transformed my relationship with food and my habits and then for the last 12 13 years i've been helping people you know change their lives through the whole 30 and you know, because the 30-day program is an elimination program, you say no a lot. And once people realized I was good at helping them set boundaries around food and drink, they started asking me about their toxic mother-in-law, their pushy coworker, their gossiping friend. And so that's really the like very short answer of how I went from my story to whole 30 and then expanded my practice with whole 30 into the concept of boundaries and other relationships. And
1: now you have a New York Times bestseller, which is pretty epic. So we wanted to know what are some signs that it's time to implement a boundary in someone's life?
0: Can I first touch on like what a boundary is? Can we lay that groundwork real quick just in case? Please do. (laughs) Because it is a bit of a buzzword right now. It is. Yeah. And I think, you know, there are some really common misconceptions around what a boundary is. I think people think that a boundary is about controlling other people Mm -hmm. or telling other people what to do. That it's about putting up walls and holding people at a distance and, you know, keeping up, keeping people in our lives out. And none of that is true. A boundary is really designed specifically to keep you safe and healthy and to improve your relationships. Boundaries tell other people the actions that you will take to keep yourself safe and healthy. So they're not telling other people what to do. They're saying, this is what I'm going to do because I'm taking responsibility for my feelings and my needs. And when you think about how we show up in relationships without boundaries, when we let other people run us over, when we say yes, even when we mean no, when we are always swallowing our feelings to keep the peace and going along just to get along and letting people take advantage of us, we show up in these relationships resentfully, begrudgingly, Mm -hmm. with anxiety. We're cold. We're short. We're snippy. We avoid these people. And those are all of your first signs that a boundary is needed think about a relationship in your life in which you avoid this person when their name comes up on your phone you just oh and you you know want to put it on silent mode mm-hmm. or the coworker that walks by your desk and you just pretend to be busy so you don't have to talk to them it's the sense of dread or anxiety around a conversation topic or a time of day or a certain situation or a person It is not liking who you are when you're with that person or feeling like you have to show up in some way that is approved by them in order to feel accepted or to feel loved. All of those are signs that your relationship and your sense of health and safety could benefit from a boundary.
2: Those are really, really great signs. And I love how you've moved the conversation about boundaries from a place of like, they're not selfish. They are a kind thing to do. They really are because people in your life might be struggling with how to show up for you or like what, you know, they might feel like you're putting them at a distance and they don't know why and they don't know how to fix it. You're helping people understand how they can show up for you, which is really like doing them a favor because I've had that in my life. I've wanted to know what can I do to show up for someone who I can feel myself becoming really distant from. And instead of boundaries being built, there's walls being built because we're not talking about what we need. I'd love if you could walk us through how to actually set a boundary with someone in a kind and clear way because it needs to be clear so that people know what to do.
0: Yeah. yeah, I love I love the observations that you just made because I think the number one kind of pushback I get from people when I talk to them about setting boundaries is they're like, oh, it just feels so uncomfortable. It feels uncomfortable. It feels mean. It feels like that. And I understand that. I understand that societally, especially women, especially moms, have been conditioned not to have needs. And to put everyone else's needs and comfort above your own. And when we do share our needs, very often we are told that we are selfish or that we're being mean or that we have too many rules. This is like a societal thing that we, you know, the systems that we're all swimming in. Mm -hmm. But I will give you a really concrete example of what it looks like using the example of a mother-in-law who continues to drop by your house without calling. So your mother-in-law shows up on your porch whenever she wants. Maybe she just made it to Costco and Costco is right down the street from your house and she feels like popping in and you answer the door once again to Carol, and it's not a good time. You didn't know she was coming over. I heard from one mom who was like, I'm nursing right now. I have like a baby (laughs) on my boob and the house is a disaster and I'm leaking milk everywhere. And here's Carol knocking on the door. She just went to Costco and she wants to drop by and see the baby. So you answer the door and you are short. You're snippy you are not pleasant to be around. Carol doesn't know what's wrong because she just wanted to come in and see the baby. And you've been wanting to tell Carol for so long, please call before you come by. Please give us like an hour's notice. And if it's not a good time, we'll let you know. You've been wanting to say that, but you haven't because you've wanted to be nice. But when Carol shows up at your door and you haven't set a boundary clearly and kindly, you're not nice. You're short, you're cold, you're snippy. Carol doesn't know what's wrong. All she knows is like, ooh, this is not a fun environment to be in. I don't feel welcome, but she doesn't know why. And the 10th time Carol shows up at your door, you explode all over her. Carol, how could you be so rude? You can't just come by whenever you want. This is like our house. It's incredibly disruptive. And now you really have hurt the relationship because to Carol, this is coming out of nowhere. Carol's not a mind reader. So the alternative is to say to Carol, hey, Carol, would you please call before you come over and give us at least an hour's notice? That's it. Yeah. That's all you have to say. It is an invitation to say to Carol, hey, I have this limit. You may not have realized that I had it. You probably didn't realize you were overstepping it in an effort so, to like improve our relationships so that when you come visit, it's relaxed. It's comfortable. We know you're coming. The kids are ready. I'm ready. Just call first. Yeah. And that is how a boundary can absolutely transform this experience that you were once dreading and you held such resentment towards Carol and you were so upset about it. And it's like, but but one simple sentence spoken clearly and kindly could resolve all of this. Yeah, because
2: otherwise there's contempt and there's like all of this negativity and some things that seem obvious to us. Like to me, it's very obvious to my friends. No, never drop by. I'm I'm a shit show. (laughs) Like it's not a good, it won't go well for anyone. I will probably be naked and my house will be disgusting. So just don't do it. But- (laughs) But that seems obvious to me, but to other people, we can't, as you said, people aren't mind readers, so we can't expect yes. that everyone already knows and has the emotional intelligence or the awareness that this is a boundary that they should uphold. Most people don't know, and it's different for everyone, so that's really, really helpful. And I also wanted to ask about context, because you know, some you could have handled that situation by saying, you know what, Carol? please just start calling before you come by. I really need you to do that. Or you can handle it like, you know what? I'm going through so much right now and our my life is is a little bit of a shit show and it would really help me be in a great mind space and get I'd get everything sorted if you can give us an hour's notice next time. So does offering context help people uphold a boundary? Because there's a lot like on social media right now social, circulating where people are like, no is an entire complete answer. You don't need to explain yourself. Just say no. But like, I find it really helpful to explain my boundaries and to hear from other people where they're coming from. Otherwise, I might not understand and it might feel like harsh or abrupt or I don't know.
0: So the answer is it depends. Yeah. The answer is it depends. There are some situations in which you can just say no thank you. So one of the biggest ones that I encourage people to use this is when you're offered a food or drink that does not serve you. Mm. If you don't want to drink, And someone asks you if you want a glass of wine. No, thanks. Oh, do you want a piece of pizza? No, thanks. Whatever that looks like. That is a situation in which you can and should simply say no, thank you and let that be enough. And most of the time that works. However, in some situations, you might want to share more as a means of deepening your relationship. But I caution people not to over justify or attempt to explain your boundary up front Almost as if you need the other person to like understand and agree with it in order to respect it. Because what to you seems like a perfectly justifiable reason can look to others like a problem to solve. So you say to your mother-in-law, Carol, things are really rough right now. My mental health isn't good. The house is kind of a mess. The kids are going through a rough phase. It's a lot right now. And I would really appreciate it if you would call before you come over. And then your mother-in-law says, oh, honey, I'm so sorry. I promise that when I drop by, I will be so helpful. I'll help with the dishes. I'll help with the kids. And you're like, okay, but no, it's not really about that context. It's about the fact that I need you to call before you come mm-hmm. over. So I like to frame it where you share your boundary upfront very simply. Hey, would you please call before you come over and give us an hour's notice? If in that moment, Carol indicates like, oh, yeah, okay. Or she says... I understand. um, I can do that. Is everything okay? Then you can share more. Then it's like, hey, you have indicated that you're going to respect my boundary. Now I'm going to share more. But if in the beginning she's like, well, why? Why do you need me to do that? Then you're kind of setting yourself up for a fight where it's like, okay, well, if my reason isn't good enough or she doesn't understand it enough, then the boundary is like not necessary in her mind. So in that case, your response would be, this is just what we need as a family. Mm, yeah, This is what we need as a family. We've discussed it. This is what we need as a family. And then at, at another point, or maybe when she's feeling less defensive, maybe then you can explain more. So it, it context really does matter in when you share and how much more you choose to share. And it depends on the relationship as well.
1: That's such a good point. That makes a lot of sense. I'm just thinking back to like a yeah. group of friends I used to have that I just didn't really align with the amount of partying and the amount of... Alcohol and drugs that were being consumed. And instead of setting a boundary with them, I just sort of like slowly isolated myself away from them. Maybe that is a boundary. I don't know. But I think if maybe I had, if I had just said, Hey guys, I don't really like when you do cocaine around me. Is it okay if you do it somewhere else? I think maybe that would have been received okay, or maybe it wouldn't have. I'm having like a flashback.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're processing it in the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think sometimes we, we think it's like easier to just sort of, slide away or avoid, especially in those friendship situations where it's like, you know, oh, I'm just going to like stop returning their calls or stop. And you think that's going to be easier, but that can sometimes bring up more issues because then your friends are like, why are you ignoring us? Why aren't you coming out with us anymore? And it can cause more of that like drama where then you feel like you have to show up and like be more engaged as a means of kind of calming their concerns. And then it leads to the cycle. I think it would be perfectly appropriate to say, and this is how you phrase it, I'm not comfortable with uh, being around cocaine. So if that's what you guys are going to do, I'm going to stay home tonight and be, right? It's not, I'm telling you not to do this. I'm telling you to do it elsewhere. It is, I am not comfortable being present in that environment. So if you know that's going to be part of your night, cool, let me know. And I'll catch up with you another time. Maybe we can do breakfast. But the boundary is essentially like, I will not be around for this behavior with this friend group. And if you find that there are other things that you can enjoy with them that don't involve that, cool, you maintain the friendship. And if you realize that your friendship was based only around that partying activity, now you've kind of set the groundwork for like, okay, we don't really have as much in common anymore and like, I'm going to let the friendship go.
1: I love how you phrase that about like, this is what I'm going to do if you are doing that versus like, you shouldn't do this around me because who am I to tell them how to live their lives and that's just going to build resentment and they're going to think, oh, you're above me because you don't do this. And I I just love how you phrase that. It's it's my boundary. It's about me. It's not about them.
0: Yes. And you are taking responsibility for your own feelings and actions, which by the way, are the only things you can be responsible for. If your boundary depended Mm -hmm. on them not doing drugs in front of you, you can't hold that, but you can always hold, if this comes out at a party, I'm going to take off. See you
2: later. Yeah. Can you, can you like expand on that a little bit more? Because I really didn't Understand that until I started following you and like consuming your content. To me, the uncomfortable part of boundaries was like thinking I might come off trying to control people or I might seem controlling or manipulative or like you guys have to like follow these rules and I didn't want to be like that. And that's not at all what it is. You're letting them know this is what I'll need to do if X, Y, and Z happen or don't happen. And so, for people who aren't really familiar with that and were stuck in the mindset that I was, like, how can they understand that you're
0: not controlling people? I think it is a very common source of confusion because very often my green, my kind of entry level boundary scripts include a request. So, it can seem in the moment, right? Even in the script we just shared, hey, Carol, would you please call before you come over? That is a request. Now, what I am really saying here, what is left unsaid is if you come by without calling and it's not a good time, I will not open the door. You are not entitled to my and my family's time and energy and space whenever you feel like it. I need to protect that for my own family's health. But I, we leave that unsaid because if the first time you talk to your mother-in-law, you say, hey, Carol, you come over one more time and it's not a good time. I'm just not going to answer the door. That's going to come out of nowhere. That's yeah. harsh. That's rude, right? We are, we're we're going to set like the stage for that conversation. So the initial boundary comes in the form of a request, think about it as an invitation for you to say, I have this limit, and I'm going to extend to you this limit, and I'm going to ask you to meet me halfway. Hey, mom, we're coming over for Thanksgiving, really excited to see you. You know the family doesn't agree on politics, and every time politics comes up at family events, nobody has fun. Can we agree not to talk about politics at the table this year? That is a request. If the person is more than willing to meet you in that request, problem solved. You have just asked very gently and stated your boundary clearly, and now everybody is fine. The unsaid boundary is, if you do not agree, and in the moment, if you bring up politics and I say, can we please change the subject, and you won't, I will excuse myself from the table. So you always have this backup plan. You can't have a boundary that you are not willing to enforce, but you might express that at first in the form of a request, because that is the kindest and gentlest way to extend the boundary in invitation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Totally.
1: So you just mentioned green boundaries. Can you walk us through your green, yellow, and red boundaries because I find ever since becoming a mom, I go straight to red now and I really need to work on it. I just feel like I have no patience. So please walk us all through those three, three color codes that you have.
0: Yes, we've kind of touched on it a little bit in some of the conversations are, or like scenarios I've just shared, but my boundary philosophy yeah. is minimum effort Maximum effect. I want you to go in with the gentlest, kindest, still clear, but the gentlest boundary language possible to accomplish your goal. So we start off green, right? That at green, the level of threat to your relationship is minimal. You are assuming that the person just didn't understand or realize that you had a limit here that they were overstepping. And once you point it out, they will be happy to meet you in this limit because they care about you and they want to have a good relationship. So the green boundary is the one I just shared about politics. Hey, mom, can we agree not to bring up politics at the Thanksgiving table, right? It's often a request letting them know that you have a limit. If you get pushback, which happens sometimes, then I want you to have stronger language. Yellow boundary language is essentially, okay, you're now pushing back on my limit, and I now have to hold it a little more firmly. The threat to our relationship is now a bit more severe. Because you've demonstrated, at least initially, an unwillingness to respect my limit. So I'm gonna have stronger language, which would be at the Thanksgiving table in the moment. Oh, mom, remember we agreed not to talk about politics at the table. If you can't change the subject, I'm gonna excuse myself and go for a walk. If they continue to push back, we are talking about Carol showing up on your door three, four, five times in a row without calling, even though you've set a green boundary, even though you've set a yellow where you open the door and you say, oh, Carol not a good time right now. Would you like to come back this weekend? Or should we call you tonight? The red boundary is the actual action that you are going to take to keep yourself safe and healthy. It is the boundary itself. It is you don't answer the door because it's the fifth time that Carol has shown up on your porch without calling, even though you've clearly expressed that you need this from her. It is you leaving the table because your family refuses to stop talking about politics and it's not a conversation you want to be a part of. It is catching an Uber home from the party Because though you've told your friends you don't want to be around when they're doing drugs, they're continuing to do drugs, and now you're going to remove yourself. That is your red. And sometimes I include a fuchsia, which is like (laughs) if you really need to get serious. But those are the three levels of boundaries that I outline, yes.
1: Okay, that's so helpful because… I feel like for possibly anybody who's just entering the boundary practices, they might just assume they have to go straight to red because that's how it, it works. On paper, you read what a boundary is and it's being true to yourself and sticking to however you're feeling. And they just don't know that there's like a healthy way to go about it before
0: yeah. you go yeah. to the final, the final stage. The reason that we are proactive about setting boundaries early, that we don't just like eat it and eat it and eat it is so that we don't explode in a red. We want to set those green boundaries out of kindness to preserve the relationship. But if we don't say anything and then we show up at the table and Uncle Joe starts talking about the election and you slam your turkey leg down and you walk out of the house and you drive home, (laughs) yes, that's a red boundary. But that's coming out of nowhere. It doesn't even give your family the opportunity to change the subject. Yeah. You're not setting people up for success. Right. Yes. So we want to set boundaries early and we want to go off kind and gentle if we can. And if we need to escalate, this is why I have like 130 scripts in the book. If you need to escalate, we have a plan for that as well. Mm, That's so, so great. So let's talk about self-boundaries because it really is
2: empowering. Instead of talking about how other people need to uphold your boundaries, you really do highlight like individual responsibility to uphold your own boundaries. And that's kind of, to me, the hardest part because we're often the ones that are breaking our boundaries, whether it's I'm not going to drink more than a drink at dinner tonight or I'm not going to scroll social media for an hour and a half before bed or I'm not going to engage with a relationship that was toxic to me, but I'm still going to keep texting them. Like it's hard when no one is looking and it is just you and yourself to keep that shit up. What's your advice for people in upholding self-boundaries when they're actually struggling holding themselves accountable?
0: Yeah, self-boundaries are challenging. There's a reason that that's like the last chapter in the book on boundaries, because I want you to have the groundwork of what it's like and the benefits and and the tips for setting boundaries with other people before you get to this. On one hand, self-boundaries are this magical category where you can instantly reclaim your time, energy, capacity, mental health, physical space, sense of safety. It can happen immediately because you are the only person who needs to respect that limit. Mm -hmm. It is something that you can set with yourself around not checking my phone in the morning before I finish my morning routine, or turning off the TV at 9 p.m. every night so I get to bed early, or blocking my ex on social media so I'm not even tempted to look at their stuff. You can set these boundaries with yourself, and the sense of relief that it brings and extra capacity that it brings is instantaneous and doesn't rely on anybody else. The challenge, of course, is that, like you said, If you do go creep on your ex on social, nobody's going to know. Nobody's going to like jump out of the closet and slap the phone out of your hand. So you have to think about framing self-boundaries, not just in terms of the instant gratification that you might experience in the moment. If you look at the photo or open your phone or watch another episode of Netflix, you really have to frame it in terms of what does holding this boundary mean for future me? Mm -hmm. So for future Melissa, it's not just that I roll over in the morning and I check my phone right away. Like that's not the consequence of not holding my boundary in the morning. The consequence is I see something that distracts me. I see a comment on social media that enrages me or a work email that is a really bad news. And now I spend an hour on my phone instead of doing my morning routine, which means I don't work out. I don't meditate. I don't have a calm, relaxed breakfast with my son. I feel... Reactive instead of proactive, that spills over into the rest of my day. I lack focus during my day. I'm struggling to catch up. I hate that I've missed my workout. The spillover effect is enormous. It's not just about did I pick up my phone? It is what does this boundary mean for future me? Mm -hmm. And what are the freedoms that come to future me if I hold this, if I hold this boundary, if I just don't look at my phone? I'm free to have the exact morning that I want. Mm. I get to spend the first hour of my day doing exactly what I want, exactly when I want to do it so I can work out. I can meditate. I can take a cold shower. I can have an extra long breakfast with my son. I start my day feeling like, okay, I've taken care of me this morning and I've really kept that promise to myself. And now I'm going to start my day and I feel grounded and centered. And like, if that bad news shows up in my email, okay, well, at least we got our workout in this morning. At least we ate a good breakfast. Like the, the benefits are tremendous the costs are tremendous, but you've got to think longer term than just what does it mean in this moment?
2: Yeah. Getting over the instant gratification and like remembering the why, why did you set this? Being able to
0: like yes. train our minds to think of the long game is so, so powerful. And I talk I talk a lot in the chapter on self-boundaries of like, can you automate this boundary? If you don't want to yeah. look at your phone first thing in the morning, charge your phone out of the bedroom. Mm-hmm. If it's not there, you can't look at it and the walk between your bedroom and the kitchen where the phone is is enough time and distance for you to go oh i know why the phone's in the kitchen okay melissa let's not do it if you don't want to yeah. drink during the week and you're like i'm going to save alcohol only for like those times when i go out with friends don't buy it and bring it home yeah. if it's not in your kitchen you cannot drink it if you don't want to text your ex block their number and block them on social media so can you automate this boundary so that in moments where you're stressed or you're looking for like a coping mechanism you have just that little bit of margin with that boundary that you want to hold to buy yourself a moment to go. Okay, what is my why? Why am I doing this in the first place? And then, how is it going to benefit future me? Yeah,
1: I love that. My uh, my husband and I wanted to implement a no device zone in our in our bedroom, so he got the ugliest neon green tape and taped a line from like the door to the room and wrote on it no devices and he's like we're going to keep this here until it's happened yeah. and for me i'm like my house is always pristine so staring at this green <laughs> tape was horrible for me like it was driving me crazy but it was a great way to to your point like do something automate it so that you can just like take any of the stress out of it so you can achieve yourself better.
0: I love that I, I heard from a whole 30 year who put her like the screensaver on her phone so every time she opened her phone was don't text him mm. and I was like oh that's so good <laughs> I love that yes
1: I love that <laughs> I have a question for a friend aka mm-hmm. me as a recovering people pleaser How do you handle setting boundaries when you're worried about people pushing back or not responding well to it? Like, How do we brace
0: ourselves for the pushback that may happen? The first thing is I want you to go into every boundary conversation assuming the best. I want you to assume that the person just didn't know you had a limit and because they care about you, they're going to be willing to respect it. There was this conversation I had to have with my mom a couple years ago before she visited and I was like, I'm going to have to have this conversation with her on the phone about her visit. She's not going to like it. She's going to be mad. She's going to be upset. I can see her like making her like sucking on a lemon face through the phone. It's going to go terribly. So I'm talking to my sister about it. And Kelly interrupts me and goes, you don't know that. You don't know that's how she's going to react. Like give her the benefit of the doubt. And I was like, okay, fine. So I have the conversation. I'm on the phone with my mom and i nervously say, hey mom, this is something I need from you during the visit. And she goes, okay. Um, Does your son need any pajamas by the way? And like, what size is he in right now? And <laughs> oh I was gosh. like, oh my gosh, really? <laughs> I had been worrying and spent all this time and energy so focused on it. And it was easy. So my first tip is like, assume it's going to be easy because if you assume it's going to be a battle, the way you show up for that conversation is different. Mm -hmm. You're going to show up steeled. You're going to have your armor up. You might go in with a stronger boundary than you need to because you're already anticipating the pushback and that can cause the very situation that you're trying to avoid. So go in assuming the best, but- I want you to be prepared in case there is pushback. And that's why you have scripts that you practice. And that's why you know what your boundary, what holding your boundary looks like. Because if they push back and push back and push back, and you start to feel so threatened at this point, then you know what you need to do to hold the boundary for yourself. So we practice the scripts because the idea of saying, no, I'm not drinking right now, or hey, what you just said is not okay. And if you can't change the subject, I'm going to leave. That idea can, like the first time you say it, your body can just get really tense and tight. Like, oh, this feels scary to say. Mm -hmm. The more you say it, the more comfortable it becomes. And I truly believe the more somatically your body is like, oh yeah, we can say that. Yeah, we deserve saying that. Yeah, we have every right to say that. So practicing is a really big part. I say in the book, like tell your shower wall, I'm not drinking right (sighs) now. Tell your steering wheel, Carol, we need you to call before you come over. And then have those backup scripts. So if you get pushback in the moment, you know what your yellow is and you know what your red is and you know how you're gonna handle it.
1: I love that. That's such a good point, what you what you were saying at the beginning of that about how some if you go into it thinking it's gonna be a battle, you might set a more firmer boundary than you need to. And then it's probably a boundary you can't even uphold. So you're gonna lose the credibility of probably even starting the boundary conversation in the first place because you won't even be able to hold yeah. it. So I love that. You're you're right. You almost gotta prepare for it. Like it's a job interview to your point like say it out loud practice with a friend write down the the different options that might
0: happen and should be okay i'm feeling better about the conversations i need to have so yeah i mean it it <laughs> might feel like a lot of work right now to be like oh i have to set one boundary and i'm like treating it like it's this you know big presentation i have to give at work but we have a lot of unlearning yeah. to do <laughs> around what it means to have needs what it means to express those needs we have to like delete the voices in our head that tell us when we say this that we're mean we have to you know, get over this idea of like feeling guilty just for having needs, there's a lot of unlearning to do. So Mm -hmm. in the beginning, yeah, it's going to feel like effort because you're trying to teach your you know, brain and your body like a new way of existing in the world, a way where you have needs and your needs are worthy and they are valid and you're taking responsibility for your needs and feelings and you're going to show up in the world in a way that expresses that clearly and kindly. That's all new. But it gets so much easier, so much easier with time to the point where boundaries are now just like very automatic and very comfortable for me.
1: I'm just curious from your perspective, like, why do you think we let ourselves go down that path in the first place of, of letting our boundaries constantly be, you know, overtaken? Like, do you think you mentioned it's just sort of like a societal thing that happens? Why, why do you think we, we let ourselves do that?
0: all of these outside influences have taught specifically women and then it like doubles when you become a mom not to have needs yeah that you know we as moms i am praised when i am selfless when i put my son's needs and my family's needs above mine it's like i'm not even on my own list and if i am i'm at the very dead last bottom and the people yeah. who benefit the most from having these privileges that they don't deserve, but what we've been giving them for such a long time are the ones who are going to push back and say, you're being selfish. When you finally do institute a very reasonable limit, when you speak up for yourself, you are not as easy to manipulate or control. It's not as easy for them to get their way. They can't just walk all over you when you say, hey, you need to call first. And they don't like it. It can feel like you're taking something away from them. When in reality, what all you're doing is just balancing out the equation and rescinding a privilege they were never meant to have in the first place. It can feel disruptive to, mm-hmm. to change that dynamic, but all you're really doing is level setting at this point. And you have to be the one to constantly remind yourself, like, no, it's I am my my needs are just as worthy as this other person's.
2: Yeah, it's like what Glennon says about like why is why does being a good girl mean to be selfless without
0: self? Without any needs or sense or priority of yourself. It is putting yourself back on the damn list. You should be on that list. You should be on the list of people who are comfortable. You should be on the list of people who enjoy their holidays. You should be on the list of people who get to relax and get to have time and feel safe. Like you should be on that list. And for a very long time, we have not been adding ourselves to the list. And like, this is just my way of saying, put yourself on the damn list.
2: Oh, I love that so much. Okay. So on the flip side, and I I don't know, maybe there is no good answer to this, but something that I struggle with is like, I really believe in boundaries and I'm really working on them. But then I also struggle with the concept of like how to balance obligations and still showing up for other people and making compromises, which are necessary. It can seem so all or nothing with boundaries that I just don't know how to still be a reliable, like responsible friend and family member. I don't know. I feel like some people do use boundaries a bit to get out of things they just don't want to do. I see them being misused a bit, in my opinion, as like an excuse to be an asshole. (laughs) Like when people just flake Mm, out at you at the last minute and are just like, "Mm, I'm just protecting myself tonight and my energy, I'm not feeling it. I don't know how to solve for this. And when a boundary is maybe veering towards being actually selfish rather than productive, is there... Any insight you can shed on that?
0: Yeah, it's complicated. So, the first thing is that, like, you can't guess, and it's not your business why other people set the boundaries. And I'm putting that in like air quotes that they set, right? When someone says to you, Hey, I don't have capacity for this conversation tonight, I will call you tomorrow. Are they saying that because? Their mental health is really rough. They had a terrible day. They know they can't show up for you the way that you need them to. And they want you to get the help that you deserve. So they're saying to you, I can't be the person that you talk to, but I do want you to find someone to talk to tonight. So I'm going to let you know that I can't be that person and I will check in with you tomorrow. That's a kindness mm-hmm. because otherwise they show up on the phone and they are so short or so, and they end up breaking down. And then you end up comforting them. And like, that's not the dynamic, right? Or, They say, I can't do this Mm -hmm. conversation tonight. I'll call you tomorrow. And they're saying it because last time they wanted to talk to you, you were busy and they're mad. So they want to be like, well, I can't Mm -hmm. be there for her tonight now. It sounds exactly the same and you will never know, nor is it your business, why they're doing what they're doing. So we are going to focus on our own boundaries here. The reason I want you to start setting and holding small boundaries or speaking up when you feel as though there's a boundary overstep is so that you don't feel like it is all or nothing. So. I'll give you an example. I was asked to do this speaking presentation as part of my book tour. And in the moment, it felt like, oh my gosh, I either have to say yes to this thing and I don't have capacity to say yes to it. It's way too much work. It's way too much time. It's coming up way too soon. I don't think I'm going to be able to do a good job or I have to tell them I can't do it. When in reality, I sat down and thought about it and I thought, what can I do? What could I do right now? I want to show up. And I can't show up the way they're asking me. So I went back to them and I said, Hey, I definitely want to take you up on this opportunity. Thank you for working so hard on it. I can't do this speaking engagement the way that you've outlined it, but I could show up in conversation. So if I had someone else guiding and moderating the questions, I'd be far more comfortable with that. It would require a lot less work. The audience would still get their 30, you know, their hour-long discussion. This is how I this is how I could do it. And that worked perfectly. Mm-hmm. So I want us to recognize that it's not one or the other, black or white. It's not we don't show up for our friend, or we do show up exactly the way they expect us to, even though we really, truly can't. Like, what could you do in the middle? So that's one piece of the conversation, which is, I can't do a long vent session tonight, but I've got 10 minutes and you can download onto me and I will say nothing, but you're right. I know it. That sucks. I've got you. Like, I'll can, i do that for you for 10 minutes. Or I don't have capacity tonight. But first thing in tomorrow, you know, first thing tomorrow morning, I will text you and I will carve out an hour of my day and we will just talk about this. Like, what could you do? The second thing is, you know, is what's happening a pattern of behavior or is it a one off? So I know with certain people in my life, like when my sister calls and she says, I need you right now, I drop everything because she doesn't abuse that. And when she needs me, she needs me and I will move heaven and earth to be there for her. If that, if she did that six times a week, And every time it was to vent about the same issue with mom that I've already given her advice on that she just isn't taking that advice, that's a very different scenario. So you kind of have to look at the context and like the pattern of which in which this is showing up in your life. And this is one of the cases where like adding more context can be helpful. If you're in a difficult season, when I hit my seasonal, when my seasonal depression comes knocking, I can't be there for just about anybody. And I'm brutally honest with my friends. Hey, super depressed, hiding under a grill cover right now. Absolutely, like cannot imagine leaving the house or even putting on clean pants. Can I just send you funny TikToks? Because I love you, but that's the only way I can show up for you right now. So I think those are all ways to think about for ourselves, how we still care for the people that we care for in a way that doesn't suck our own cup dry, because that's not sustainable.
1: Yeah
2: that I actually feel lighter after that. So thank you so much because I have just been struggling with that whole dance of like, I just, I really, really want to be a reliable person to the people that I love. But sometimes you also need to be able to do exactly what you just said and provide some context or some ways where you can show up but not completely deplete yourself. And then I also know that helps me deal with other people in my life too and know that, you know, it's not personal maybe if they can't show up for me right now. That's, that's something i needed to hear.
0: Yes. You've just said two really important things. The first thing is, I want to be a reliable person. Do you know how you become a reliable person by saying what you mean? Yeah. And you say what you mean when you mm-hmm. set boundaries. When you say, "I can't do this tonight, but I will block out an hour for you tomorrow." Your friends know that you mean it, and that when you say yes, you are saying yes enthusiastically without reservation, without resentment. You're not saying yes begrudgingly like your yes means something. Mm-hmm. When you are willing to say no, when you say what you mean, you become dependable, reliable, and that is a safe relationship. You are now a safe person to engage with. You get better at respecting other people's boundaries gracefully by setting and holding them yourself. Every time you set and hold a boundary, you remind yourself Having needs is not selfish. Advocating for myself is not selfish. It is not personal. I am doing this because I love this person. I care about them. And I want to show up in this relationship in a way that works for both of us. The more you tell yourself that through your own boundary practice, the faster you will recognize that in other people and the more gracefully you'll be able to receive their boundaries. And now you are changing entire family dynamics, friend group dynamics, workplace dynamics, community dynamics, because you are all saying what you mean trusting other people to do the same taking responsibility for your own feelings and needs and respecting other people's needs gracefully
1: yes so we really really wanted to chat with you about setting boundaries at work because it seems like that is one of the biggest struggles for us in, in the past still still to this day our peers our listeners everyone it feels like it's like a millennial personality trait to have work anxiety and burnout and i don't really want to wear that badge anymore so We would love to know how we could all succeed at work while also implementing healthy
0: boundaries. Yeah, workplace boundaries are definitely in the zeitgeist right now. I think the quiet quitting, like Gen Z's quiet quitting discussion really kicked that off where it's like nobody's quitting. Nobody's quiet quitting. What we're actually saying is I am trying to restore – an equal exchange of labor for value. I have been donating more and more of my own time mm-hmm. and energy and capacity to the company in a way that is not compensated, that is not acknowledged, that is not respected, that is not valued and like I'm not going to do that anymore. And I think people are somehow looking at that as quitting when again all we're doing is sort of rebalancing the influences of capitalism which has have been asking us, demanding of us to give more and more and more and more to produce more and more and more to what end. So, yes. I think, you know, you deserve to have a workplace that does feel safe, that does feel like you have an equitable exchange of value for labor, that does feel respectful of your contributions. And it doesn't mean that you'll never have to work extra hours or you'll never have to answer a call, you know, outside of nine to five. But what it means is that you can and should try to set the limits that make your workplace environment a sustainable place for you very often, again, I will hear from people, my workplace has like no respect for boundaries. They do, you know, they're always calling me outside of office hours. They're always dumping more work onto me. My coworkers are always gossiping. It's like not a healthy culture. I just need to quit. And I'm like, okay, have you tried setting any boundaries, right? Have you tried? And they're like, well, no, it's just not a healthy place. And I'm like, okay, but before you get to the point, because in the workplace, holding your boundary may look like asking for a transfer finding a new job talking to hr like these are really serious actions okay. that you may or may not be prepared to take because it's not as easy as just finding a new job before you get to that point i want mm-hmm. you to to at least try mm-hmm. setting boundaries so i've broken down work boundaries in the book into four categories boundaries around your personal time and space like phone calls during your vacation boundaries around your work time boundaries around ethics and personal kind of values and dilemmas like your boss pressuring you to drink at business meetings and boundaries around your sort of workspace and capacity. So I want you to start having those conversations. I want you to say, please don't text me after hours unless it's an emergency. If you have like a thought in the middle of the night, boss, um, let me show you how to schedule an email. Or you can send it on Slack because I turn off Slack notifications overnight so I won't see it until the morning and I'll, I'll hit it in the morning. Try that. I'm certain that your company's HR policies, back up the fact that you are not expected to work outside of normal work hours without being paid unless under exceptional circumstances. And obviously it's going to vary by profession, but like you have every right to say, Please, Hey, I'm going on vacation. I will not be available. You know, you can talk to your other coworkers because if they're, your boss is texting you after hours, chances are they're texting everybody else and nobody likes having their family time eaten into. And when you're asked, mm-hmm. you know, to do things to go above and beyond, you know, just, just pitch in and be a team player again, ask yourself, is this a pattern of behavior? Am I always expected to do extra without any compensation, any recognition, any you know, award? Or does my company really respect my efforts? And we're in the middle of like a really busy season. And if I do pitch in, it's going to be short-term. And I know that it will be acknowledged and respected and valued. And I know that I'll be able to kind of reclaim some of that time later on in the year when we have down periods because we do summer Fridays or because my boss will say, like, knock off early today. You've done a really great job. Mm -hmm. Context really matters here too. But I want you to try to set healthy boundaries in the workplace so that you know the environment that you're up against before you have to make a really hard decision about whether you stay there or not.
2: Yeah, and I think like the the context matters is important too because even in in my own friend group, I see the difference between some really bad work environments for people where the demands for them – even though they work a Monday to Friday job to work weekends, to work until midnight, to literally get emails at one in the morning. And that's industry specific, but it's, it's brutal. And then I see other people, and I have been this person who like, no one's actually making them do it. We're doing it ourselves. We are the high achievers. We are using anxiety and a need to be constantly productive. But that's where, you know, those self boundaries come in because- some people might mm-hmm. hear this and examine the situation and say, wow, why am I working till midnight every night? Is someone actually saying, if you don't get this to us by midnight, you're putting us in a really bad situation? Or are we doing that to ourselves? Because I think a lot of this millennial work anxiety is self-imposed. And so we do yes. need to get better at those boundaries with ourselves. Some people need to yes. you know, set them with bosses and stuff. But a lot of it is self-inflicted. I've been laid off. I've, been, I've gone through all of those things and that helped me see that the shit that matters is myself, my family.
0: Yeah. And again, think about the era in which – I'm not a millennial. I'm Gen X. But think about the era in which we grew up, which was like the girl boss era. Yeah. They're like, I'll work while you're sleeping. Yeah. You can sleep when you're yeah. dead. I'm hustling 24-7. It's like grind culture, yeah. right? We came up in that. I uh, came up as an entrepreneur in that culture. Yeah. And because women are expected to be able to navigate a full-time job and then some, and running a household and then some, and all of the child care and then some, there's enormous pressure on us to like do it all and be it all and have it all. So again, the influences, societal influences and capitalism have probably led us to violate our own boundaries here. We're like, no, no one's asking you to answer this email at 11, but I'll tell you what, if you're willing, your company will take it. They will take as much as you are willing to give. That is human nature and that is the effect of capitalism. So you have to be the one to be like, at six o'clock, my email goes off. If it's an emergency, text me. Like the building's on fire, definitely text me. <laughs>
1: okay, this is very helpful. I'm starting a new job on Monday and I was even, I was thinking about it last night. I was like, I'm going to go in and crush it. And I still am, yeah. but I'm also going to be like upholding myself boundaries, especially because I'm, I'm managing a team. So it's I want to establish that for my employees so that they know with me, they're never going to get a call. On vacation or past 5 p.m. or whatever yes. boundary we decide. They to set. also
0: can't see you taking calls from vacation. You have to you're model right. the boundaries that you want them to uphold. Because if they see you doing it because you are their boss and because of the power dynamics, they are going to assume that they have to do it too, even if you're telling them not to. Mm-hmm. Or at the very least, they're going to look at you and go, I don't want a promotion. Promotion means I have to start answering emails at like 11 p.m. I don't want that job. So you have to be the one to right. model the boundaries that you want, that you're saying you want for your team. So that's a self-boundary you're going to have to set with yourself. We
2: wanted to end today talking about the holidays. And I know you've been talking about the holidays and holiday boundaries a lot on social. Lots of people have been asking you questions about it. It's 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 such a thing. Like the holidays are this wonderful time, but they're also you know, filled with endless commitments and burnout and overspending and for some people over drinking and and anxiety around food and their bodies and their relationship status and all of these things. Mm-hmm. Is there anything specifically that you would advise people for setting boundaries this season during the holidays to protect their mental health?
0: Yes, two things. First thing, I want you to check in with yourself or maybe yourself and your partner or yourself and your partner and your kids, like your family unit, whatever that looks like. We all too often, especially moms, spend the holidays and figure out like what we're going to do for the holidays and plan our holidays around what everyone else tells us to do, where they want us to show up, when they want us to show up, how they want us to show up. And that dictates our calendar. No wonder we feel so much anxiety because I don't know what my holiday is going to look like until I know what mom and dad and dad and Susan and grandma and grandpa all expect from me. Like, what do we want? Very often that conversation is missing. We need to spend time checking in with ourselves to figure out what our needs are before we even think about having a boundary conversation. Think about what you want as a family and then set these boundary expectations well ahead of time. So, hey, mom wanted to call and talk about the holidays. We really can't wait to see you. Just wanted to let you know what the plan is this year. This year, we're going to be doing Christmas by ourselves at our house in the morning. We want to open presents with the kids, super chill and relaxed, just the three of us. We'll plan on being at your house for dinner. Let me know what time. It's usually like two or three. We can come over an hour early. We have to leave by six because we're going to go to Dad and Susan's for dessert that night. So that's the plan. Do you want us to bring the presents from you over with us so that the kids can open their presents in front of you? We could do that. So share what you will be doing and let that be the boundary conversation and then have some scripts prepared if you get pushback or you get disappointment. That's so helpful.
1: Yeah. especially you're right with like part when partners are involved it can be really complicated trying to navigate everybody's families and if there's divorces then you've got multiple families to go see so it can be it can be hard yeah. it's great to just check in and yeah.
0: design your holiday for you. We have you. a rule with my parents that we celebrate holiday we celebrate Christmas Whatever weekend, we happen to drive down for Christmas. It, last year, I think it was like the last weekend in, in January. They kept their Christmas tree up. It was Perfect. so sad, <laughs> but they kept it up anyway. And we saved the presents for my son oh, no. and we drove down and we celebrated Christmas in January. Aww. And it was amazing. I love that.
1: Our last question that we always love to ask our guests is what's one thing you wish you had been taught in school?
0: I mean, of course I'm going to say boundaries. Yeah. Of course yeah. I'm going to say boundaries. <laughs> We're not taught anywhere. Nobody teaches us about them explicitly. They're not modeled by our parents. They're not taught in school or in college. They're not part of my professional development curriculum at my job. If I had had and like understood the power of boundaries when I was in my 20s, I feel like I would have been unstoppable. So yes, I feel like if we can, if we can start setting and holding and modeling those healthy boundary behaviors for our kids, I think the next generation yeah. is going to come in way more prepared. Mm, amen.
2: Yes. This has been such an amazing conversation. I feel so energized from it. Thank you so much. Please, Melissa, tell
0: everyone me where they can follow you, find you, get your book. It's called The Book of Boundaries. That's the title. You can find it anywhere books are sold. And you can find me at Melissa U on Instagram. Uh, my website is also MelissaU.com. That's where you can sign up for my newsletter and see old newsletters. And then I'm also on TikTok, which is so fun, at Melissa underscore you. Amazing.
2: Oh, this was so, so, so great. Thank you so much. It's going to help so many people. Yeah, thanks for
0: having me.
1: It was a great conversation. We hope this episode motivates you to set some boundaries in your life so you can take back your time, mental health, energy, and relationships. We'll leave you with a quote from Glennon Doyle, a.k.a. Our queen. The only people who get upset when you set boundaries are the
2: ones who benefited from you having none. That's what she said